This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is sponsored by the Union of British Columbia Performers. UBCP is an autonomous branch of the Alliance of Canadian Cinema, Television, and Radio Artists. For more about UBCP Actra, visit ubcp.com. That's ubcp.com. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash Podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast where we pull back the curtain on the Vancouver film and television industry and celebrate its beating heart. Namely, the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Ronnie Firminger. This week, we continue our Stop Asian Hate series about the intersection of anti-Asian hate and the film and television industry. You can find our previous episodes in the series featuring Lexa Doig, Lee Shorten, and Vincent Tong, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Today, I am honored and humbled to welcome actress and filmmaker Mayumi Yoshida back to the YVR Screen Scene podcast. Mayumi is an actress, a writer, a director, a producer, and a change maker determined to create opportunities for emerging storytellers of color. She's described herself to me in the past as living in the space between Asian and North American cultures, relating to and participating in both keenly aware of the gulfs and overlaps between them. Mayumi's films include Akashi, the short film she wrote, directed and starred in about a woman who returns to Japan for her grandmother's funeral and confronts some inconvenient personal truths. Akashi is currently moving through the feature film development process and received development funding from Telefilm. With Natch Dudes Dimeta, she co-wrote and co-directed Tokyo Lovers, a film about two strangers bonding over heartbreak one holiday weekend in Tokyo. And she co-directed The Day We Met, which was written by and stars Lee Shorten. And speaking of Lee Shorten, Mayumi co-starred with Hiro Kanagawa in Lee's widely heralded film, Parabola, about an aging Yakuza and his emotionally fraught daughter. Mayumi portrayed the crown princess of Japan on Amazon's beloved dystopian drama, The Men in the High Castle, and as co-creative producer of the mighty Asian movie-making marathon, she's encouraged Asian-Canadian filmmakers to value their own stories. Today, we're going to talk further about the importance of these stories, as well as what we all can do about racism in the Vancouver film and television industry. Mayumi. Hi. Hi. Welcome that back to the, the Wider nicest... Screen Scene Podcast. That was the nicest bio ever. <laughs> you like it? I can cut and paste it into, a, into <laughs> an email and send it to you. It is yours. I am going to steal that. It, it may, it's, you make me sound so much better than how I make myself sound. <laughs> well, ain't that just the way? But no, I don't just make you better. I mean, this is, this is who you are. You know, this is, I mean, I've written articles about almost every one of the projects that that we've, we've mentioned. I've been, I've been 
watching you and your work in this community and your work on screen for many years. And frankly, this is not the first time that we have had, you know, something akin to the conversation that we're about to have today. Um, I want to talk about racism and white supremacy in our beloved local film and television industry. Mm-hmm. Have you experienced it? If so, what form has it taken? Uh, I have, unfortunately. Mm. I think, uh, I don't think no one hasn't if they were not white. Right. <laughs> um, I, I don't really know where to start with uh, how I have experienced it. But it came. It comes in forms of um, the casting calls, um, like the kind of roles you auditioned for. Yeah. Uh, it comes in forms of once you get the role, and then you walk on set. And um, I was listening to Lee's episode, and you know, people mistake you as background. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just treatments on set is i i find quite different um compared to and also as a woman of color as well i can speak from how people treat women of color differently from um men who are a person of color right uh and i guess there's a there's a unconscious bias or um prejudice towards um, people who are not white. Uh, yeah, I don't know where to start. I think. <laughs> well, I mean, you you've started in a lot. I mean, and we have to, we've talked about about this before, mm-hmm. and I'll include links to your your episode of the of the podcast that you did with me to episodes that you've done with me pre- previously, as well as the articles that I've that I've written. But I'm I'm wondering about when you first recognized that you were going to be, you know, navigating this industry with, you know, with racism as part of it, you know, that this was a white supremacist, you know, that this industry is based, is built on a foundation of white supremacy, you know, because you're, I mean, you are not originally from Vancouver. You've had, you had a very global um, kind of upbringing Mm -hmm. uh, before, before you got here, you know, what, were you expecting to experience it when you first arrived? And, and right. you know, when did you first realize that it was going think, to be there? Yeah, no, that's a really great question. I think when I, because um, growing up around the world, uh, as a child, I don't think I was that aware. I think I, I felt some, uh, I felt like I was treated differently. Like um, there's an episode in Pen15 where they, uh, the, the main character who's a uh, Japanese American, she, it's, I think it's, they're doing like a Spice Girls party, theme party, and um, she doesn't fit in. Mm. Or she felt like she did. She dressed up and then she wasn't. And that exact same thing happened to me when I was a kid. Uh, when it was Halloween and everybody was dressing up as like their idols and 
Spice Girls is huge. So, and Mel C was my favorite and I really wanted to be Mel C and we all gathered and on the day I realized that um, my friend group who are all my dear friends, but at that time they were like, yes, but you're not, you don't look like Mel C so you can't be Mel C. So someone who wasn't in the friend group Mm. was sort of replacing me and I felt uh, I think at that time, I I'd sort of like brushed it off and it was sad, but I didn't really think about it. Yeah. And now that I look back, I was like, wow, that was that was racism that I didn't even know. And I remember uh, at film school when I was in acting school, there was like this fantasy film project that every three months the uh the, the some programs at, at film school like, like they would collaborate with different like film production and sound and mm-hmm. and uh the acting students auditioned for the roles and um they were always like fairy tale themed like peter pan and cinderella and uh, alice in wonderland and i remember auditioning for these leads and um i remember someone saying like why are you auditioning for it you're asian and I was like, but it's film school. Like, I want, I, want, I want to audition for it because, and it's fantasy, like, in Japan. Mm-hmm. The weird thing is, uh, when I lived in Japan, because we're homogenous, like, kind of everything is, everything is, uh, it can be Japanese. So Alice in Wonderland or... Uh, they have their own Broadway (laughs) and everything is, everybody is Japanese, but they still play it. It's almost kind of, it's turned into this universal story. Hmm. Um, But so I came in with that conception thinking like, well, I can, I think I can still play Alice, but then everybody else, it was like a very normal thing to think that, yeah, but you're not white. Hmm. But some people were like, yes, but Alice needs to be blonde. No, but no, she can be brunette. And it's like, is it just hair color? <laughs> but yeah. they need to be white. It just, uh, and, and it didn't help that I was the only Asian person in my class. And mm-hmm. there were very few person of color students at that time. I now teach at that school and it's a completely different uh, landscape. Yeah. The students are way more diverse and the, and the teachers are way more diverse too. But I remember feeling like that's, uh, that was maybe the first time I really yeah. felt like, oh, right. If I'm not, if I'm not white, I could never be considered as a lead. Yeah. And you were hearing this from everybody else was white, uh, which, which is, can often, you know, be the case. Um, I mean, when you look at our industry events or you look at our, you know, um, just award nominations or whatever, that mm-hmm. it can be, you know, glaringly white. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering about gaslighting. Like, you know, did you feel or have you felt that that your white colleagues, um, white students, you know, back in the day that they were trying to to gaslight you, you know, into thinking that 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 nothing was actually wrong, you know, and something was wrong with like your point of view. I don't think we talk enough about gaslighting, you know, in in racism, right? And and that still happens. I think, you know, back in the days, 
back in the days, as in like, you know, like 10 years ago, it was a very different time. So I don't think they even perceived that as racism or gaslighting. I don't think, I don't know if people were even using those words. (laughs) And, but now I still experience gaslighting as, um, and sometimes I kind of can get confused, it's confused, like, is it because I'm a woman or because I'm a person of color or because I'm both? Because mm. um, I often experience that feeling like, oh, because I'm a woman. And then I kind of check in with uh, white women and that wasn't the case. And I'm yeah. like, oh, I see. There's another layer. So, um, like, I don't know if this is gaslighting, but I've been uh, silenced many times I've been told that if if I voice something, it's it's more whining rather and complaining rather than being grateful for hmm. the opportunity. Or um, yes, but at least you've got this. Yes, but and and I accept that as well. I am very grateful, and as also like an immigrant here, I still consider myself. I mean, all of us are all guests on this land, and hmm. I. I acknowledge that and I'm very grateful, but that doesn't mean that, you know, I, I should just accept that and that that's the end of it, you know? Yeah. And um, I see how other people who, are, who don't look like me take places and take ownership and that's accepted. However, when we try, it seems like, I think you're pushing it or like, mm. I think you're claiming too hard or um, yes, but you, we don't see you as that because of the color of our skin. Mm. And again, it's like that uh, unconscious bias, the, the inherent racism that people are not even aware of still. Um, I remember as a woman of color, I was, standing on set and then another woman who was uh, a white woman came up to me and said it's so great that they all want you here you're so lucky because you're so pretty and I was like what (laughs) they all want you here because you're so pretty and you they just want you around and uh completely oh my my uh my skills my worth (laughs) I just felt like is that why I'm here? Is that why I was hired to work? Because yeah. they just want me around when, you know, I had a legitimate job to do, but that wasn't as important to, yeah. to that woman. And I felt it was, it was really, it was really heartbreaking to hear that from another woman. Yeah. This kind of, um, this reminds me of something that I have heard, um, white actors either say or be attributed to saying, you know, that is like diversity is so hot right now, or mm-hmm. it's such a great time to be a diverse actor. Can, yeah. when you have, I'm, I'm assuming, I'm assuming you've heard those things said. Oh, yes. Yeah. And so what, what is your, what is your response when you hear, when you hear that? And I mean, cause my inclination oh. is that that is just not a good, that is not good or helpful or, or kind or allyship, or, I mean, honestly, it's, feels like racism frankly it it totally it 
it's just ignorance. Like they had mm. no idea. Yeah. <laughs> Even if we get the job, we're not. So we'll st- we're still not as important as white actors. Yeah. We're still a minority on set. The directors, the writers, the producers, the showrunners are majority white male, and like to be very very honest, who gets the spinoff from Kim's Convenience? Mm. Who who gets that next opportunity straight straight out of the door? Yeah. It's usually passed down to the people who look like the writers and the directors and the showrunners because they see themselves in them and they're like, I'm going to give you this opportunity because I feel like I see my young self in you or you can, I want to give you this chance because I believe in you. And that rarely happens to a person of color because we're simply just not in those decision-making rooms yeah. and they don't look like us and it's hard for them to convince. And then because most of them are also kind of scared to like walk into the territory of them not feeling comfortable of owning that story, mm-hmm. then they tiptoe around and just don't touch it. And then nobody <laughs> wants to give us a chance. Yeah. And so, and you know, on top of that, myself, I'm a woman of color. So women, they, they struggle on, on, on any level, like even if they're white. And then on top of that, there's uh, the person of color element too. So, you know, let's, let's see how they feel when <laughs> they're in that position. It's so, it's so funny when I hear that. And um, well, not funny, not like hilarious, <laughs> like you're good at comedy, but just like, like f- funny, like, like with, while well, you're crying funny, right? I'm assuming. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. We got, it's darkly funny because it's awful and you can't like help but just kind of chuckle. Otherwise you're going to cry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was talking to uh, this uh, journalist in Japan and we were, uh, she's a female journalist and um, been fighting this game for so long. And we were talking about how, um, FYI, Japan is the worst when it comes to misogyny, the mm. worst, and racism. Um, I will be very open about that because they are. Uh, it's, it's very complicated. And she was talking about how, well, we were both talking about how when they give up a spot because they got in trouble or like they something happened and they have to step down, um, they won't really give the exact same kind of power to a woman mm. or someone who don't look like them. Right. And that's, I think that's a big, that's the next step when we're uh, with all these, you know, recently with all these producers being called out and um, lots of, the reality of what was happening is being revealed and then they the jobs are taken away and and now like who's filling that spot and also it's that person given is are they given enough respect and time and uh, resources and support as those other people as that person who was sitting there yeah and that's a big thing that I think we don't really talk about like if if you're just putting another woman or a person of color in there to just fill in that spot, make sure that they are getting the exact same amount of respect, power, um, because then they can make that change. But I I feel like that's still, um, we're not still there. Yeah. It makes me wonder 
where the pushback needs to happen in order to really make, you know, a lot of like really meaningful change, you know? Um, I mean, cause it's, it always feels like, you know, even when you look at, at the like award shows, like let's look at the Oscars, you know, there's, there's a year where, you know, Asian North American creatives or Asian creatives do amazing. And then the next year, you know, there's like Minari where they're like, yeah, you're not an American film. You're not an American film, even though it, it is an American film, Absolutely. you know? And, um, you know, so there's it's like- there's also in Canada too. Yeah. I am currently struggling with my feature that you mentioned. Um, it's, as of now, it's 80% in Japanese and 20% in English. And it's written that way because it's a first generation immigrant story. And then in exploring her identity and her, and her heritage, she goes back home and you can't tell that story without the original, her, their heritage language. Yeah. So it has to be in that language. However, that immigrant story, that self-discovery of as, an, as a new Canadian, it won't be seen as a Canadian film because of the language requirement. And you need convincing. <laughs> it's actually in Heritage Canada that they can't, they just, they won't. There's a percentage that you need to meet. And telephone- I, I'm sorry, I'm, hold, I'm like, I'm holding my, my brain together right now because, you know, the, the immigrant communities that I come from, you know, in the home, you know, these are people who who are, are you know, their um, their citizenship is Canadian. Uh, so that's that's what Canadian means. Right. It's a citizenship. Uh, but they speak a multitude of languages, you know, I mean, predominantly Hindi, Punjabi or Ukrainian. Right. Like that's being a Can Canadian, having that citizenship, you know, and then being part of the quote unquote culture of Canada, which, you know, it's a arguable term that we can talk about at some other time. Um, you know, it's, it looks, it doesn't just look like one thing, you know, or does, or does it as far as stakeholder, like it's, you know, so these people on in charge on the top, you know, I mean, are you, are you finding that there is a reluctance to, you know, re-examine, um, you know, that, what the rules are, quote unquote, rules are about what it means to be Canadian, what it means to be, you know, North American. Like, what are yeah, you seeing? I've, I've seen like, in the past couple of years, there's more conversation on wanting that change. And um, a lot of other producers have st stood up to uh, make a petition. And it's, it's a long process, but hopefully with, you know, it's many years in a row now we've been experiencing this with Farewell and uh, starting with Crazy Rich Asians and then mm. with Minari this year. Every, it's almost like every single year because we are pushing for more representation in film and that means more diverse stories. That means uh, obviously their cultural heritage comes in and if we're demanding authenticity, it's natural for them to be speaking multiple languages. Yeah, Absolutely natural. That's what we yeah. see on the street. Yet we only really value this gaze that we've been always been accustomed to. And we we're somehow wanting or trying to uh, adjust to that, which yeah. is far from our reality. Yeah, the diversity, I mean, it's like the reality of the population is diverse, but the gaze is homogenous. Yes. You know, you mentioned we, like we need to push. And, and so where, 
like, are we talking about a multi-pronged push is the only way it's got to come from audiences, from funders, from storytellers, you know, like, it's just got to be like, is that what we are? The royal we, I guess, you and me, <laughs> what, what, you, what, we're, what we're pushing for is for everybody to be involved because I don't personally see how anything can really change in a meaningful way, a long-term way, mm-hmm. if everybody isn't on board. Absolutely. It, it, we need everybody on board. It's not every time we do a diversity panel or a conversation between like um, BIPOC filmmakers and we talk about that amongst ourselves and we need to have white people included. We need to have people who are in power in like being able to fund and the people who are the decision decision makers to be part of that conversation. And uh, we're trying, but then there's this like dilemma on their side that like, yes, but we're not them. So we don't feel entitled to talk about that. It's like, no, don't think that way. Yeah. It's, it needs to be all of our problem, all of our effort. And, and that goes for, what's going on right now with the hate crimes as well. It can't, you can't be silent because, oh, but I'm not Asian. Mm. You know, if you saw someone getting bullied, would you be quiet about that? And I think some people are mistaking just being a decent human being to call out bullying or racism or um, a violent attack to someone to sometimes that they're mistaking it as like, oh, but I don't want to, I, I hate this like woke cancel culture. And it's not, <laughs> it's, it's being a decent human being making the right choice and fighting for people who are facing injustice. Yeah. It's not being um, too sensitive. It's mm. not being too soft. And I, I, I just, I, I, my friend who is, white male told me about this experience of like him calling out um, because the, he, he saw these comments and uh, amongst his friends and he told them like, hey, that's actually, that's racist. And then they were sort of like, oh man, you can't take a joke anymore. Like you just, why, why do you have to be so sensitive? And those are conversations that like, if I were in that room, would they have made that joke? Mm-hmm. Isn't it worse that they're making these jokes behind my back and I never know? Yeah. And we just, if we just let that slip, it keeps growing. And that's the, the, the result we're seeing is because we just let that slip. Let, let's, let's talk about the stereotypes. Let's talk about, you know, the, the writing that, that, that leads to depictions on television of, of yeah. Asian women and how those impact, you know, how, how Asian women in North America are perceived and are treated. Mm. I, Oftentimes we see, I think there's so many stereotypes, but one of the ones recently that I see more often that's quite frustrating is, you know, there is the dragon lady and like the over-sexualized women, but there's also the, these powerful characters are silent. Like they don't say a word. Um, Karen Fukuhara and the boys and the Suicide Squad and um, Justin Min in Umbrella Academy. There's these characters who are playing series regular lead roles, prominent roles. However, they don't speak a word. <laughs> They're consistently silenced. And like, what is that? 
is it inconvenient for them to talk? Like, is it, is it you, do you not want them to dominate the screen with their vocal presence? It's, it's such a weird phenomenon. And yeah. they don't uh, get to have personalities really, you know, no. and because finally, if they're not saying anything, we don't get to know like the character exactly. of Ben on Umbrella Academy. We finally are probably going to get to know him a little bit better in season three, you know, because yeah. but he hasn't said <laughs> what if they didn't get season two or three? It's like they're lucky that they have these seasons, but what if they don't? And then yeah. you don't you don't hear them at all. It's yeah. it's it's so strange that that is, that keeps happening. And yeah. and that makes us look like so well behaved and non-threatening. Mm. And um, which I think is also kind of feeding into how we're how we are getting pushback from how we're dealing with Asian hate and we're being vocal and it's sort of like, Oh, you're overreacting. And, you know, it's, it's definitely giving this idea that we're, I remember as, as a woman, many times I've been told like, Oh my God, I love Asian girls. They're so cute and so timid. Japanese girls are like, they're so quiet. I love how, how, how supportive they are of men. And, Always, I always thought, oh my gosh, wow, you have mistaken my tolerance and grace as timid. That is what I carry. Yeah. I don't shout out loud. I don't, I don't have the need to do that yeah. because it's, I am, I am, it's within my culture to tolerate and to just sit back and watch observe and then come in at the right moment to you know be vocal or uh it's it but they see that as timid hmm. but it's i see that as power i see yeah. that as you i'm carrying myself with grace and dignity it's not about being weak in that yeah. moment and it reads differently in yeah. different cultures. I mean, I, I'm thinking that, you know, what we see often on, on screen in North America, I mean, written by, written by, you know, not people of color mm -hmm. um, who, who have no interest in figuring out what's going on, you know, be, behind your face, right? Like this, you know, to, to know what's going on in your head. And I also wonder how much of that is because um, a lot of, you know, the interactions, you know, between Americans and, you know, Asians, you know, back like in the Pacific is, is because of occupation by, you know, American military forces, right? And so their interaction with, uh, you know, with women, but with, you know, with all people there, but specifically with women, you know, is as the occupying force, you know, right? In a, thinking specifically, you know, about, um, well, Korea and also Philippines, you know, the, and then, you know, like, oh, well, the women, you know, the women. So they're so interested in us and so timid and so, you know, subservient. And it's like, no, man, you're the, you're the, <laughs> you are the conquerors of their country and you occupied and uh, yeah, and thus, you know, decade, flash, fast, forward, fast forward some decades, and then you have, you know, the stories that are being told are from that, mm -hmm. you know, the occupying and forces. Very interesting. I felt that I, it's, I've in my career many times people have reached out to me about 
uh, doing telling a Japanese story or like setting this in Japan or I want to do a samurai movie. I want to do a Yakuza movie mm. and uh, either to be considered as cast or like, can you write for me? Uh, can you consult for me? And I don't I, I don't I'm really happy when they approached me to do that because it's like, oh, great. You're interested in the culture. And of course, it's a very rich culture. So I get it. Although I'm very tired of male dominant Yakuza samurai stories. I'm like, oh my God, there are so much more. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. Um, it, however, a lot of those people has not said anything about Asian hate. And mm. it's so interesting to see that you were so interested in really using our culture to advance your career or make it as your next career step in telling the story. However, you you're not really engaged in the in the problem we're facing as a community. Yeah. Not standing with us, being an ally. And that feels really ingenuous, is that the word? Disingenuous. Yeah. Which makes me feel like you just want the good parts. You don't really want to be there for everything. You, you don't want to be there for the fight. You don't want to be there. Yeah, it's it, it, that that was quite disappointing to realize in the past month or so. Mm. I'm thinking about your films and I'm thinking about um, one of the last uh, Yakuza stories I saw on screen, which was um, Lee's story for, for Hiro and Parabola. Um, and, and that leads me to thinking about this incredibly dynamic community of Asian Canadian filmmakers that we have here in, in Vancouver, um, you know, of which you are, I mean, you are a major part, part of that. It's really, uh, I mean, I just, I love the stories, you know, that are coming out, uh, you know, from people like yourself and Natch and, and Lee and, and, um, the Bang Sisters and just like, yeah, 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 just everybody. And, and I, I'm, I'm curious about, about the stories that you, that you personally want to tell and that you feel safe telling, you know, with the support of, of that community. Like, do you think that you would be telling these stories and making these films if, you know, you had not connected with all of these incredible filmmakers. Like I'm thinking about, was it Story Hive a few years ago where you had, like everybody was working on each other's films and you had a screening where you sat and you watched like three or four films, you know, with everybody yeah. involved. Like tell me about the role of, of the community, you know, in your filmmaking and, and what it provides, you know, to you. I actually, I think when I made Akashi, which was my first short, I felt like I, I didn't have that. Mm. Uh, I felt I wasn't, um, I didn't know that community enough. And luckily I had Phil Plant as my producer. Phil. And, um, Phil. <laughs> and then um, after making the film, uh, it, uh, go, it went on Story Hive and Story Hive had it on YouTube and obviously everybody got to watch it all at the same time. And then that was sort of when I realized there's a way bigger community that I had no idea of. And mm. then that goes beyond BC. We screened in New York, we screened in LA, 
San Francisco and Toronto and Japan and it, it just expanded. And then I realized how there's many film festivals, Asian film festivals, and of course, um, many Asian filmmakers. And I remember feeling doubting myself, thinking like, does my story, I don't know if anybody would watch it because mm. it was so personal. It was so, um, it was really because I wanted to leave my grandmother's legacy because I was losing her that year that I wanted something so I can keep her close to me. Mm. Then, so it was a very selfish reason, um, but it, it ended up creating this ripple effect and then seeing how many people, and it, it was on uh, Air Canada as well. So I had got many messages randomly from people who were on the airplane. And one of them was this person who was heading to her father's funeral and saw oh. short and felt like she was, she felt so seen. And mm. she messaged me, found, she found me somehow later and messaged me. And um, I realized that there is so much more to uh, these personal stories than just, you know, just leaving my, my family's legacy. But it's, there, there's a whole audience that we've been ignoring. Mm. That yes, they, they, we were all happy with watching Hollywood films and it's fun. And I've, I've been affected by many films from the past. I love classic films. However, there's this feeling of a new feeling of absolutely seeing yourself on screen. Mm. And you literally feel like I am that. I am exactly that. Yeah. Is uh, an experience that um, I didn't know I was giving to other people. So that definitely empowered me to feel like, oh my gosh, there is. I, I if I could be any part of that change, I I, I felt I felt like a mission to um, sort of be part of that. And then my my group of friends uh, who happened to all be Asian at that time, it wasn't like we planned it. It just happened to be that way. And uh, the Story Hive thing, uh, this shorts edition came up and we and uh, I pitched them that, why don't we all come up with like ideas? And because I was originally an actor and all of my friends were actors, um, we're like, why don't we just, you know, write something or come up with the idea and then pitch it. We will we'll help out with our pitch together and like get the graphics together, give each mm -hmm. other feedbacks. And then whoever shorts get made will help each other out, which got uh, Gonju and The Day We Met uh, funded. And um, the Bank Sisters, where we were just friends from before. Mm -hmm. So uh, we kind of also gathered in at the end of like our filmmaking process and did a screening together. And Phil was definitely a huge part of that because he produced all three of them. Oh my God. Mad, mad respect <laughs> to Phil Planta. Yeah. That is incredible. And yet all, I mean, the different cultures, different, different stories, different genres, you know, um, really shows so the, the I haven't told so many. Yeah. Yeah. So, does that give you hope in this moment then? Is that, does that, does that buoy you, you know, does that influence how you view, you know, what is going on in, in the zeitgeist at all? Like what, if so, like what influence does that have? I think it's a separate thought for me as a creator, 
it inspires me to find these stories yeah. and not just within our community, but any story that I think is universal, but is very specific that I want to tell. Yeah. Um, that drives me, but it's, the struggle is that there's systemic racism towards funding structure and um, just even finding a producer Mm. All of that is part of systemic racism. Yeah. So it shouldn't all be Phil. Like it, it shouldn't. We should. Like, we love that. Phil, yeah, Phil. I mean, but Phil must person. be protected too. You know, we don't want to. We don't want to overwhelm him, right? I mean, that's the. That's even part of what one of the the foundation stones of Why Bear's Green Scene is. I don't want to be the only. Uh, person of color telling film and TV stories. I don't want to be the, you know, I, part of my mission as I go along is to expand and then train up people, you know, yeah. right. So that we have more voices. Yeah. Uh, so it doesn't have to all be me. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think it's, I, it definitely, um, my uh, community engagement side is going like, I need to foster more talent and also with my film, I need to open more doors. I need to mm. give other people more opportunities who uh, were lacking in the past. And then, but as a creator, I, I don't really think that much about, um, yes, but as an Asian, uh, mm. I always try to find what is, what is the story I must tell in that moment in my life? And what is ringing true to me? Like, is it about, um, a woman wondering if she is capable to be a mother or is it about uh, a person who is trying to find their place in an environment that is um, not exactly what they expected. I don't, you know, there's specific stories that I find very relatable to myself and that always comes first because I need to, I need to know that I'm the best person to tell the story, to tell the story. Yeah. So, um, and you know, there's uh, many, I've had people connect me with me to talk about like, guess, can you talk about, I think I've had like four or five different people connect me about uh, Japanese internment stories. Hmm. And it's, it's great that it's in focus. However, I'm feeling, I, I, and to all of them, I've said, there's four other people, contact them as well. Yeah. I'm very happy to talk about it too, but there's also these other very talented filmmakers who I don't know if you've approached them, but they're also amazing and um, maybe more qualified or could be more fitting. Um, just because I'm in the community, I, I know them and sometimes they just don't know them. Hmm. So um, like you said, I don't think I'm the, I, I don't want to be the only person. I don't, because I, not everything is for me. Yeah. No way. Some projects are like perfect for Lawrence, perfect for Jerome. Yeah. Not at all for me and vice versa. Yeah. So I, I, I hope that we, as filmmakers, we grow more talents that we have myriads of talent to choose from and say like, oh, I wonder who is the best person for this. And then yeah. it, it just, it's just, it's, it just creates more great films, great filmmakers, which will change a lot of the problems I think that we're facing yeah. currently. Let's end with talking about allyship um, because I know that there are a lot of people who are well-intentioned um, who care about BIPOC, 
but who don't know how to be a good ally or have really bad ideas about what it means to be an ally. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just reflecting on last summer where, you know, I remember some people that I know have good hearts might be in white people in my family um, saying, you know, using the all lives matter hashtag because like, well, we're humanists, all lives actually matter. I'm like, but we're not talking about all lives right now. We're literally talking about <laughs> black people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's why we're saying that black lives matter. Not all. And, you know, so they got, they got educated pretty quickly. Um, but what do you think it means to be a good ally to Asian Americans and Asian Canadians in this particular moment? I think, first of all, um, don't minimize the hate mm. and assume that it's somewhere far away. It's happening right there. It's, it's down the street. Mm. It's, um, yeah, I think that's the first thing I can think of. I think another thought is um, being there to listen, to really listen. And I know that in the past, uh, you felt like you had to have the last word. And sometimes you don't have to. You can listen and learn and amplify. And uh, I know that's hard for a lot of people. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, sometimes some people try to uh, make it lighter and make it a joke. Um, pick and choose those moments. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I, I might be. I might be confusing people by saying this. Uh, I hope I'm not, but it most importantly though, just be with them and don't be silent. It's just like the Me Too movement. Being, being silent is being complicit. And yeah. I 100% understand for the people in the community who were hurt and are grieving and need time to process and can't be um, vocal. I've had, like, when the shooting happened, like, for two or three days, I really shut down. And it was really hard to say anything. And uh, a lot of my friends have told me, too, that, like, at, later on, when I became a little bit more vocal, they were still saying, I don't know how to process it. I don't know. I'm still going through it. I don't know what to say. Mm. So thank you for saying something. And we take turns like that, you know? It, it's... I'm off right now and someone has the baton and then they're going to be the one being vocal and, and that's okay. But as someone who is outside of that community, who's not maybe directly affected by it, the best we can do is amplify and listen and be there for them. Um, you don't have to say all the courageous things you've done to them to get a sticker <laughs> as much as I, I'll there's no the sticker. <laughs> there is no sticker. We don't have stickers. <laughs> Very sorry. <laughs> I've run out of them because yeah. everybody <laughs> likes to tell us how great they did, which, you know, it's very endearing, but, and, and I, I do, I actually do appreciate that, but I also really, I loved as much as it hurt. I did love that my friend 
the male white friend that I was talking about that they told me about what they saw behind mm. my back. And that gave me a, a perspective on like, or it just gave me a better idea on like how bad the situation is. Because mm. in my community, we all are aware, we all know that it's bad and we must speak up. And then when I don't, there's a lot of places I don't see and that's going on all behind our backs. And it's it's really scary that if nobody is saying anything about about it behind our backs, then that's that's really scary. So be the protector of us, even when we're not there. Perfect. Thank you, Mayumi Yoshida, for being here today. I appreciate you very much. I appreciate you too. Thank you. To our listeners, we will have uh, links to an abundance of resources, anti-Asian hate resources, um, anti-racism resources in the footnotes for this episode. The YBS Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by myself, Sabrina Ronnie Furminger, and edited by Simon Furminger. Special thanks to Mariana Furminger for recording our Patreon ad, to Paul Furminger for technical support, and to Dane, not Furminger, Devalet for the original music. Webair Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Find us on all the socials at YVR Screen Scene, on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts for free, and at our home on the web at YVRScreenScene.com. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene and stop Asian hate. Cut. In the current COVID-19 environment, UBCP ACTRA, the BC Performers Union in the film and TV industry, has been working closely with industry partners, formulating sensible and practical guidelines for all cast and crew to ensure working on set is manageable and safe for everyone. UBCP ACTRA has created a dedicated COVID-19 webpage at www.ubcpactra.ca where members can find mental health resources, financial assistance information, and back-to-work strategies and updates about the current status of film production in the province of British Columbia. UBCP ACTRA knows this has been an extraordinarily difficult time for many people, and we look forward to better days ahead. We will get through this together. Please visit www.ubcpactra.ca. A message from UBCP ACTRA.